This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hey, little man. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, really good. I literally just finished debugging a piece of code that I had written over the weekend, and I had spent all day. So I wrote all the weekend. Said, oh, it's perfect. It'll just work. Of course, it didn't just work. I found all these bugs and had all these things, and they literally just like five minutes ago found the last bug, and the thing just actually worked. So. I'm nice. on an emotional high. <clears throat> that was your your project, your personal project. This is like no, this is actually for my day job. So oh, okay. I'm supposed to be a product manager, but I do. Uh, I've been doing sort of uh, like side R and D projects, and I just this last week convinced the company, like you know, we should just build our whole future around this side project I've been working on because it's just way better for this. And it's like. Okay, we just have to have it ready in two weeks. We can show the engineers and decide if this works. So it's like, so I have literally put myself on the spot. And mm -hmm. so I have some pressure to deliver. I'm fairly confident I can deliver, but you never know with software, right? And so uh, this was a big milestone getting this piece of software to work. So, uh, so it's both. It's always nice to get software working. It's even nicer to get software working when it's like a critical feature that you've promised other people will work. Right. So I'm doing great. How about you? Your company has finally given you your just desserts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I have more I could spend on the card today, and I like the dessert I had last night. So I just went down and had some because I had, I had eaten dinner elsewhere tonight. Ah. That's what happens when you don't spend on breakfast or lunch. You can spend uh -huh. your per diem like you can spend your per diem like you know all at night. Yeah. So you decided to go for the dessert rather than the three beers this time. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't. I don't sleep. Oh yeah, really. I can understand. Yeah, I remember business trips like that. Um, <clears throat> Ah, so um, you said a wonderful. Sorry. I have water. Oh, water. Uh -huh. Ah, water in the dessert. Uh, desert. What a. Water won't keep me awake. Yes. You have to go to the bathroom, but it won't keep me awake. Yes. <laughs> right? Ah. Yep. Uh, my father is going through a number of kidney issues lately, mostly of which are, are working at you of like are things you take for granted when you are young become quite complicated when you get older. Are they okay? Yeah, he's fine. Everything's working out, but it's just, you know, minor complications. Uh, but in just realizing this is you know, the state, I mean, all things considered, you know, having kidney problems is better than having mental problems, as you know, better than most. Mm -hmm. So, and he's a doctor and he's got very good medical care. So everything can be resolved. There's nothing serious or life threatening. It's just kind of annoying, right? He loses sleep a few nights and when they get the situation remedied. But overall, he seems to be doing actually better than expected. So that's good. I'm sure he'll be back to equal, if not better, functioning in a week or two. It's just reminding me to be grateful for the fact that I can 
drink water and go to the bathroom and sleep through the night and all these things you just take for granted after you reach the age of five. But uh, right. you cannot take for granted forever. Ah, so speaking of having trouble sleeping, you had you wrote a wonderful little uh, essay email uh, about the doldrums. Yeah, I remember that. So would you remember the one from this week, or remember this phrase from before? Uh, this week. This week, yes. This weekend, I thought, but um, yeah, yeah, I thought it was a wonderful. And uh, did you see my reply? Uh-huh. Yeah. So did you read my essay? Yeah. What did you think? Well, let's see. Let's, I think well, I for, for, our, for our, you know, negative one podcast listeners, you want to summarize what you were talking about in the doldrums? Um. Hmm, what was I talking about? <clears throat> um, yeah, just the the the, the blonde uh, the same old, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, the blob the same old. Just um, the feelings aren't there, you know, and um. It's really hard when you're tied in with someone else and you have to take something like that. When you have others to be responsible for and they seem fine with the doldrums. Yes, the sense that like, what is this, the, the, uh, there's this wonderful far side cartoon where this uh, sheep is in this uh, flock of, you know, the middle of a flock, and he jumps up and yells, Hey, we don't have to just be sheep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I feel like this periodically. It's like, What reality are you people living in? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and so uh, the, the tension you feel is that. You're like this, this life feel, well, it's very Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Everyone's going through the emotions and, and you're not sure whether they really are content, which is sad, or they're working really hard to pretend to be content, which is even more sad. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And, and you feel like you have no options other than like self-destruction. Yeah. Right. Either you destroy yourself or you destroy everyone else and then you would hate yourself and you would destroy yourself anyway. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's not a bad summary. Um, do you remember the last line in your doldrums piece? The, uh, coming back around and start reading from the top again? I don't remember that part, but it was something about, at least the last line I remember, maybe it wasn't literally the last line, was I just wish, or something like, I just wish I could fly, but that's impossible or something like that. Oh, right, right. Yeah, maybe it wasn't the last line, but that was actually where, so 
I'll go through my piece, which I'll link to in the show notes, which is the fulcrum. And this was a really interesting exercise for me because uh, I love this metaphor. So are you familiar with the idea of like a lever and a fulcrum, right? Yes. And the important thing about a fulcrum is it gives you leverage by being immovable, right? If you try to put like a lever, sorry? It has to be steady. Has to be steady, stable, right? Like, steady and sturdy. Steady and sturdy, right? When you push on it, it shouldn't deform and it shouldn't slide off whatever it's anchored to. Right. I always, I always think about like in grade school, we would like try and, uh, you know use rulers to flip erasers in the air or at people or whatever uh, yeah, right. on top of like your, your textbooks or whatever. And if it slid off the textbook or it pushed the textbook away, then it would, you know, go off in the wrong direction and not, not hit the person you intended to or hit yourself in the face or whatever. Right. So, okay. So then you have a full core, like its whole purpose is to be steady. And what's interesting, and this I think is getting into all your questions we were discussing about, life and God and Jesus and the cross and does, what does this, any of this mean anyway, right? Mm-hmm. This is the first lesson, is that in order to function in this world, we have to have a fulcrum. We have to have a set of axioms and a sense of who we are and where we fit into the world that gives us a sense of how, uh, that tells us how to make sense of things. Right, it's a, you can call it a worldview, you could call it religion, you could call it identity, whatever it is, it is the thing that we use to filter the infinite amount of information around us into something coherent that we can act on. You with me? Right. Uh-huh. Right? And and here's the thing. Is that sorry? I'm listening. Okay, good. And this um and what happens is when we go through a crisis of identity, it's because, you know, our internal sense of what the way things should be uh, or the way we need things to be and the way things are around us get out of whack. Uh, sometimes I call it, you know, normal, uh, you know, normal life is when things follow the norm. But then there's these exceptional moments of crisis where, things change, right? All your normal assumptions no longer work, either because, you know, externally your world changed or internally you change, right? When you go from, you know, childhood to adolescence, right? Puberty and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, status games and all the opposite sex, all these things, like, suddenly, uh, you know, matter in ways that they didn't before. Um, and so, we sort of uh, try to use, we, we try to, we have to develop a new identity, right? And mm-hmm. usually what happens, the way this works is we sort of layer identities on top. So whatever baggage we had from our childhood, we kind of add more stuff on top of it as a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And then as you become an adult and you, uh, get a job, get married, you add more layers. Of, 
And so this identity gets thicker and heavier. And in some ways, this is useful, right? A thicker, heavier identity is a gives you more leverage. You have more resources, more people, more experiences, um, you know, more skills, you know, more assets, even if it's mostly covered in debt, <laughs> things like that, right? Uh -huh. And but what happens is, of course, is that that identity becomes um, harder and harder to move because there's sort of like so much stuff. It's like both the fulcrum and the lever get a lot heavier with everything, right? Which mm -hmm. means that move, and what happens is the stuff that you can move, like you can move a lot of, but then the whole thing, like, you know, when it was just like a little twig on a stone, you could swivel it around fairly easily and it was flexible or whatever. But now it's this big, heavy concrete, you know, this big piece of re reinforced concrete on top of a chunk of granite, and it's really hard to move. <laughs> Even if it mm -hmm. can lift a lot in the right direction, it's really hard. So the problem becomes that because the lever could only move in certain directions in certain ways, uh, uh, this is the thing that maybe people don't often think about. Uh, the, 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 the technical phrase for this is what they call a schema. We may have discussed this before on a different podcast or something. You know, in, in computer science schema, like how you organize a database. Right. Um, right. Right. But in psychology, a schema is how you perceive the world. So, for example, you know, a, a you know, fundamentalist Christian views the world as, you know, human beings are male and female, and, you know, uh, there is a God, and there's a spiritual world and a natural world. Uh, there is sin, there is virtue. You know, there's all these things, right? And they're part of that schema. And you see the world a certain way, right? You know, uh, you and I really can't see people as other than male and female. Well, apparently this next generation sees a whole bunch of different things, right? <laughs> And it's like literally our schema for interpreting reality is kind of hardwired into our brain and we just don't see certain things. Like, you know, we can see, uh, you know, interesting like, so we see like a radiation symbol. Like that means something to us, like be afraid, right? Or if you're reading English, right? Like we can see like a sign in English that says warning, danger, or like is calling or a graffiti in English that calls us some horrible name, right? Mm -hmm. That has an immediate visceral reaction because we perceive something, we interpret it through our schema and it, you know, acts on our psyche, our understanding of reality and who we are. Whereas if it was written in Spanish or maybe even like Chinese, like it could be saying something really horrible, but it would just go right past us because it means nothing. You still with right. me? Mm -hmm. So the, the claim of the gospel is that your schema is wrong. Your very identity, the way that you perceive and understand reality is fundamentally flawed. And you can try to use all the tools of your leverage to try to change things, but your lever can only move around its fulcrum. And the problem is precisely what's underneath the fulcrum that has to change. Still there? Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, this was my 
uh, story, which I will summarize here, which is that like, I finally feel like, okay, I have to deal with this. I go to this, this fulcrum like thing and I can't move it forward and back or up and down, but I can easily slip it side to side. I find a square pit and then this little um, uh, baby Huey like cherub from uh, like the guy from like baby, this little cigar smoking cherub like baby Huey from Roger Rabbit uh, shows up and starts insulting me. And what I realized was that this was my inner brat. And mm-hmm. he wasn't the solution or the problem. He was my guide. And the thing that he was chiding me on was that mm-hmm. I say that I don't care what other people think about me, you know, that, that I understand who I am, I've made peace with myself. But yeah. there's a part of me that, that uh, and I realize this actually, is that there's certain people that I have no patience for. And I realize there are people who have similar views to me, to me about reality and things like that. But then they go off on other people and sort of tell them off, you know, to their face and, you know, offend people all the time and seem to get away with that. And that really frustrated me. And I was praying about this. I was like, God, you know, what do I have to deal with this guy? He's, su- he's such a jerk and he's so abusive and whatever. And God, well, it's like, what? No, I don't envy him. Uh, you know, but you, you know, because like he sort of gets away with acting badly. And I feel like God has me on a tight leash so I can't. And, you know, I sort of blame God for this subconsciously, but really this is the part of me that I don't want to admit that I have suppressed and refused to deal with is my inner brat. And the way that I process things, you know, trying to use logic and uh, so forth, it can be really useful for a lot of things, but the more I do that sort of the more deeper and harder that fulcrum gets pressed into the cement and therefore it's harder to question those things even now right having mm-hmm. gone through this a few times like the whole direct experience right brain portions of my psyche i tend to only interact with through fiction and i'm still trying to work through you know living that out more in real life um but the thing that was interesting is that so i go follow him down there and I face a choice between a tunnel on the left that goes down into the depths and tunnel on the right that ascends to the heights. And I realized like, oh, actually that's the problem. I'm always trying to make these duality choices. So I just run straight through the middle, possibly knocking myself out or even killing myself. And I wake up in this world of non-duality where there's sort of no logic, no cohesion, no continuity. Hmm. Um, And there's this sense of you know, it's, it's sort of like pure right brain experience without any logical left brain words or structure uh, imposing order on the chaos. And the idea is that this is the thing that I have been avoiding, right? Is that the reason I cling to that fulcrum so tightly, the reason I reject my inner brat is that if I do that, I'm opening myself up to all this chaos. And like even my, I see that my former reality, which was so powerful and solid and important to me, is just like part of a multiverse. 
and there's an infinite number of these possible universes I could inhabit, these, uh, you know, personal worlds, you know, and realize, and so it's a terrifying thing in some ways, right, that, you know, that your reality that you've put so much blood, sweat, and tears to is, is in many ways an illusion and not a terribly good one at that. Yeah. But the question that is, like, the, the problem is, like, who is the, you know, if I start questioning that, like, where do I even stop? Because, like, is there any, even any me left to even ask the question? And right. so that was sort of the end, but there's this fascinating little ep ep oops, epilogue that happened at the end. Just whacked myself on a surprisingly low and evenly spread tree. Um, what are you doing? Frolic, are you taking care of business or are you just rolling around? Just rolling around. Yeah. It looked like he was going to make a deposit, but I don't think he did. Don't want to leave any behind. You got a little. Um, yeah. Did um, you look? I looked. I didn't see anything, so. No turd? No turd, unless it was microscopic, in which case, you know, the dandelions <laughs> will cover it. Anyway. But at the very end of this epilogue, where this character, um, who is interestingly whistling as he works, is setting up uh, another lever and a fulcrum at the edge of an abyss. And then at the end, he whistles, and this little glowing meteor, who's probably the cherub, comes hurtling down and strikes the other end of the fulcrum, uh, the other end of the lever, and catapults. Uh, the presumably the main character off into the abyss, but he doesn't fall. Instead, he flies. Hmm. And that slides? was what. Uh, sorry. He just slides. Flies. Yeah, he flies. Oh, flies. That's all. Yes. No, he flies. Okay. Right, and that was interesting. You mentioned about how like you wish you could fly, but of course that's impossible. Right. You know, and this is precisely the gospel. Sorry. Sorry? We don't have that superpower. Just that well, I'm aware of. So, no, yes don't and no. Tell me, don't tell me, no. Our bodies can't fly without an apparatus. Okay. Sure, I understand. But let me take a like, different metaphor. You remember the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Jenna Reeves. Uh, yep. The original one. I haven't watched any of the sequels, and I'm probably better off for it. But Not anyway, <laughs> the at the very end of the first one, spoiler alert, uh, he you know unlocks. I forget exactly what he does, but suddenly he I think he probably dies and gets reborn. That's usually what it takes. And then suddenly he sees the Matrix, the things in the Matrix, not as walls and uh, air right. and people and guns. He sees it as code. He sees the yeah. code, so he can stop bullets in the air, and he can fly, right? Uh -huh. and because he realizes we're illusion. And so, yeah, I'm not saying that you can cast yourself down from the mount of the temple and fly, okay? Uh, <laughs> but there is a sense in the, the things that we see in this universe that are as fundamental as gravity, whether that's social gravity or financial gravity, are in some very profound sense really illusions. And the promise of God is that 
if we, uh, you know, follow the path of Christ all the way to the end and beyond, that we will be able to experience reality in some sense the way he did, you know, where we transcend all the things that we just assumed were a fundamental part of our reality. Hmm. How so? Um, so let's take a look at like St. Peter, right? The big mouth mm-hmm. of the Gospels. Uh, always, his mouth was always writing checks that his body couldn't quite catch. Uh, mm-hmm. catch. And <laughs> before, you know, part of his reality was that he was a Jew. He was a good Jew. Uh, Jesus was the Messiah he accepted, and he thought of himself as a really loyal, devoted follower who only cared about Jesus. But when we get to the cross, we discover, he, you know, he discovers, much to his shock, is that he is actually uh, a coward <laughs> in that he um, doesn't boldly go into Pilate's uh, armory and demand to be crucified alongside Jesus. He denies that he even knows who Jesus is with oaths and curses, you know, not even to a soldier, to a slave girl, right? Just for absolute pathetic loserliness, right? He, mm-hmm. you know, he realizes that at his core, he wanted a God who would change his external circumstances so he wouldn't need to face his inner weakness, brokenness, and shame. And, you know, he lived in this world where, you know, maybe you can relate to this, David, where it felt like the whole system was rigged against him, where everyone was content to be in this oppressive, dull routine, where nothing ever interesting or, you know, happened. And everyone talks about, yeah, it would be great if Messiah comes, but no one was willing to do anything about it. And, you know, he, and then he got really excited because he thought Jesus was going to be the God of his dreams and everything would turn out great. But when it all fell apart, he realized that, you know, nothing he believed in was strong enough to bear the weight. And so then something happened. You know, let's just call it the Christ event. There's a whole bunch of stuff wrapped up in that. But at the end of it, Peter stands in front of a crowd of thousands of people in front of the soldiers and the priest and everyone says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. And uh, I think the legends say that when uh, he finally came in his turn to be crucified, he said, you know, I am not even worthy. Crucify me upside down. Uh, uh, and so he, you know, he literally, like all the things that deep down in his psyche, in his scheme, in his identity, that he thought were important, uh, mm-hmm. including his own life, he suddenly realized that, like, all of that was a lie, a deception, an illusion. And he went from being this you know, uneducated fishermen, the butt of jokes, to, you know, people who say, like, who are these guys? Aren't these just simple, uneducated people? 
but they had been with Jesus and they confounded the wise and the powerful and the wealthy and the learned because they knew truth and they knew themselves in a way beyond anything that anyone around them could ever have imagined. And that's what happens when you, when you see the matrix for what it is and discover the deeper reality underneath this one. And what's that? So for me, so I'm going to take a step back on that. For me, the gateway to kind of, you know, crawling through the, the for the thing, so the, 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 uh, here's the thing. The thing that you fear the most is actually the source of your salvation. Hmm. Okay. But for me, it was my inner brat. I don't think that is your case because I think you have an outer brat <laughs> that you turn to fairly often, uh, mostly perhaps to annoy uh, your loved ones, but uh, possibly for other reasons. Yeah. I'm, uh, what was his name? Is that guy's name again? Michael Douglas? I'm Randy from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, I barely remember him. Was that the bully? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am oh. rubber, you are glue. It bounces off me and sticks to you, something like that. <laughs> All right. That's funny. Dogs are and something they probably shouldn't be eating. Wait, what happened? So, what? Oh, the dogs were trying to get to something in the gutter, which probably would not have done them any good. Mm. But they're just dogs; they don't know any better. So you're out walking them. I'm out walking the dogs. Yes. Just uh, exercise that annoy my family by my lungs. I just briefly annoy random neighbors. <laughs> I was so, trying to I was trying to comprehend life this last weekend. Ah. Just trying to comprehend it. Mm-hmm. So, so I was driving just to go see stuff past the time. I was just stuck there for work, right? So you're, you don't have to go to work, but you have to stay there because you have to go to work on Monday rather than driving back home. Right. And so you literally have a day or two with nothing to do. Right. And so you were driving? And I was driving and I was just, because of the anxiety and the unhappiness, I was just trying to grasp life. Yeah. And so I was literally, and I I started, I don't know why this has become a thing to me over the last couple of years, but mm -hmm. 
instead of taking for I'm, I'm trying to understand it and I'm trying to understand Ooh. people's acceptance of it and I'm trying to understand people's purpose ah we all just go through this physical world and you know we have cars which place horses which so you know and so I would place walking yeah right Technically, cars replace bicycles, which replace horses, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just, you know, there you have what? Movement, right? You're moving yeah. through space, right? Mm-hmm. Through some sort of space. Physical reality, yeah. Sidewalks, right? You walk on sidewalks, which are made of cement. And, and I don't know, just I know it sounds weird, but I was just trying to comprehend, like, we do the we we use this stuff we do this stuff and i don't know what i'm trying to get at and i don't know what the answer is yeah you're kind of struck by like we put an enormous amount of effort into like building all these roads and these vehicles and different ways of getting around but like Basically, we have no idea where the hell we're going. Right, we just does. Right, we just do, and it's like where I don't know. I don't understand people's sense. I don't know. I just don't get. I don't understand their sense of satisfaction from one moment to the next just doing that every day yeah (laughs) so the the short answer is so there's a great um uh essay this uh benkates rao he's kind of a tech philosopher guy but he talks about how we there there are many different worlds like, you know, there's an economic world and a technological world and a physical world. There's all these worlds. Uh, and then there's something we call the real world, which is a combination of those. But then we all have our own worlds, right? Like, you know, we, we feel like, you know, okay, we have a job. Um, and, you know, you know, or we have projects, we have conversations, we have relationships. And this is our world. And the the way he described it is that you know our worlds are these finite games that we're trying to win but our real world is the infinite game that we just try to keep going right mm. and so for a lot of people like you know, you think of like their business uh you know could be is their world and they'd like for that to win like like my startup that i'm working for to win but you know if it ends you know it will it will hurt my world but the real world quote unquote will just keep going right uh-huh. And when we get stressed out is we think like the real world is going to fall apart. Like, you know, if the country implodes and the economy collapses or California falls into the sea, like I was trying to explain to the kids how like there is such a thing as earthquake insurance and we don't have it because it you know, counts <laughs> as an act of God and it's really expensive and it's like, you don't need it until you need it. And it's like, hope that we don't need it until, until we decide we can afford it. But anyway, this is the idea that there's a real world and there's several worlds, but they're all fictions. They're all things that we build and humans in society. And so the way people function is by only, is, 
is by they try to only choose worlds. They only acknowledge the existence of worlds that imply games that they can win. And they work very hard to ignore everything else. And the thing that, you know, as Lokis, we realize that what other people can think of as the real world, as the infinite game that just goes on for the sake of going on, is actually a finite game that you could win or lose, and it could end. It doesn't have to exist. And that is a terrifying thought for most people. Mm. Right? Is that, that their real world, and this is why we have so much conflict in this country since the 1960s and 70s, is we've had basically very different conceptions of what the real world is, maybe even diametrically opposed visions of that. And they just can't stand as there's a bunch of people out there who believe in a very different real world than ours who are actively trying to end our real world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, make America great again for whichever version of America and great and again you want to pick, implying that, well, no, your greatness is actually the problem, and that's what we're trying to get rid of, right? This is this is politics, right? Is mm-hmm. this is the game that play? And so the way that people function, the way that we all function in different ways, is we try to find a corner of the matrix that we feel comfortable with, and as long as we are winning our little private game and keeping our part of the real world outside going, you know, it feels like success. And, you know, I would argue that those people are spending enormous portions of their brain denying the obvious truth of the situation. Hmm. And they would be so much freer if they didn't have to spend so much time denying obvious realities. But, you know, in all honesty, like, you know, in order to get anything done, I spent a lot of my energy denying obvious realities. Like, you know, like before you called, my Labrador was sitting here barking really, really loudly, insisting he get his walk right after dinner. Because, you know, he'll, an hour before dinner, he'll start barking, waiting to get his dinner. And then as soon as he says dinner, he'll start barking, waiting to get his, his, his walk. And so in order to get my work done, the computer program I was working on, I had to ignore this cute, lovable, friendly, desperately, emotionally needy dog barking, in, you know, three feet from my face, setting off my Apple Watch. You're listening, you're hearing yeah. You're in a area of exceeding 90 decibels of noise, you know? So, like, in order to get anything done, we have to ignore most of reality, right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a useful skill, but it's a dangerous habit. And like any other addiction, you need more and more of it to keep you going so you can function. Right. And you will have more uh, empathy for them after you discover what is the reality you have been ignoring. And then you say, oh, crap, that's bad. This is painful. I totally understand why everyone else would rather avoid facing this. Mm. Yeah. So, so answer your two questions, you, you were asking, like, why did Jesus have to die? Was this just some arbitrary thing that God made up to balance some bizarre cosmic books? Right. So two answers I'll give you. We'll see if these ones make any sense. 
One is that he, want, he had to show to us exactly how difficult and painful it is to punch through the illusion to find reality. This is what it feels like, like being nailed to a cross and abandoned by all your family and friends, you know, and having the world's venom poured out upon you. That is the path of finding enlightenment, of connecting with the, the reality of facing the life. That's how bad it hurts. And that's mm. why most people avoid it, is they've learned the hard way that when you get close to it, it just hurts really, really bad. And so they've instinctively conditioned themselves to not go there. And, and the only way they can sustain that, of course, is that everyone around them, you know, acknowledges that same reality. Right, And that's why people are all this sort of hyper-woke cancellation on both sides, even if they call it different names, because they just can't stand other people articulating, uh, you know, undermining their reality. You know, this is how we survived as tribes. You know, our tribe had this reality, and everyone in the tribe paid a really heavy price to maintain that shared reality so you could trust them. You believed in the same evil spirits that they did, and you know, bowed down before the same gods they did and made the same, you know, sacred vows at the altar that they did. And you just trusted that everyone else believed the same things. And so you all felt safe because there was an us and there was a them. Mm. And that shared illusion of what bound us together. And we learned instinctively to severely punish anyone who openly flaunted that reality. Because that is how you made sure that you could tell who was in and who was out. Okay. But so the first, so the first thing is that like, okay, so the first reason Jesus had to die was to show us how much it costs to break free of the illusion theory. The second reason he had to die was to show us that it was possible, right? Because like, so let me say, okay, it's necessary, but it's actually also possible that if you go through with this, you will make it to the other side and you will experience this transcendent reality that, as I like to say, splits infinity into AD, you know, BC and AD. You know, that it is possible to do this. But then the third reason, and this is something that actually the, you know, so the first two of the church kind of uh, tends to ignore because this whole idea of, like, they say, yes, we should deny ourselves and follow Jesus. And it's like, well, actually, you're missing something kind of important in the middle there, <laughs> which is to die yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. Like, it's all fun and games until somebody makes you pick up a cross, right? And that's exactly what Peter found out. Like, you know, hey, following Jesus is fun. You get to taunt the Pharisees, and you get to get to... You know, eat food on the Sabbath without washing your hands, and you get to see people healed, and you know, and even if people, you know, get angry with you, and you know, abandon you, it's like, but hey, you got Jesus, right? It's it's wonderful, but it, it, but you know, but then all of a sudden it's like, wait, no, you got to die, you got to face the cross, you got to give up everything, you know, all the wealth and sass and power that you thought you were going to get by following Jesus is actually the thing that's going to get in the way of following Jesus all the way. Like, this is, and this is the part, actually, this is actually the one thing I think the church does get right, is that the cross of Jesus shows us how much he loves us. 
and he was willing to go to the thing that he himself, that, that you know, like for me, the, the paradigmatic uh, verse in all of the Gospels is when Jesus is sitting there at Gethsemane and saying to God the Father, you know, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. You know, my will isn't your will. This isn't what I feel like doing anyway. This is the opposite of everything I want to do, except I want what you want more than I want what I want. And Jesus faced this indescribable agony, which in some ways was just being human completely after knowing the difference. And that's what he went through because he loved the Father and he loved us enough. And so that's the third reason why Jesus had to go to the cross was to show us that, at least for me, you know, every time I reach my limit, you know, when I like, like, there's a place I don't want to go, there's a person I don't want to have to forgive, there's a shame I don't want to have to uncover. It's like, God, I've been through so much. Do I really have to do this again? But then I see Jesus. And just there's this sense of like, you know, he really is this wonderful, and he is worth it. And, you know, once I get through the other side, then I see that the sacrifice was worth it. Right, I feel the freedom, I feel the new identity, I feel the power, I see all the walls that people spend their lives, you know, tunneling around and hiding behind as these insubstantial mists of vapor that I could walk through whenever I wanted, but I try not to do it too much because it freaks people out. (laughs) You know, is that I can see all that. And that's awesome, but I only experience the goodness of it after the fact. Before that, it just has to be Jesus. It's like, you know, was it Peter on the water? It's like, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you on the water. You know, uh, because that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. And I actually think this is the whole point of the universe. And this is the thing that maybe I think you can understand is that the reason you are so disenchanted with this world is that Jesus meant you for something better. And you are privileged to see what so many people have to stay blind to or it would rip apart their sanity. Really? Really, like I've literally seen this happen to me where I will like speak like what I think is an obvious truth and people I love, godly, wise, intelligent, biblically learned people will just like completely detach from reality because they cannot handle that truth. And then they must find a way to crucify me so that I don't say speak that truth. <laughs> And, you know, it is, and so I've learned to have compassion because, you know, it really is hard. I mean, think about this. Think about, um, like, uh, a person that your life depends upon. Like, um, actually, well, 
you know what this is like. Like you have, you know, a fair, for a white collar work, you have an incredibly sort of tedious, mind numbing kind of job, right? Going through this, it's almost like doing, it's like doing physical maintenance on something, right? It's, it's better than quest software. This Sorry? One, as far as, my, well, as far as challenges and mm, amounts of work to do, mm -hmm. it's done better than quest software was, but yeah, not yeah, what I'd rather be doing. Yeah, but like think about, but this is like think about a guy whose job is to like inspect power lines and like every day he's driving around and crawling up poles and checking company, you know, things. And like some days he may be feeling like, why am I doing this? Why do I have to be out here in rain and snow and heat and whatever? And it's like, what if, you know, what if I just took it easy and like just said that I did and I didn't tell people and like, he can get away with it. But then, you know, if there is a storm and something happens, just like if you've failed to do your job properly and a hacker strikes a, vital piece of national infrastructure you know people could die it could be a horrible disaster right you need mm -hmm. people doing these menial jobs and the thing that i realized you know during the pandemic i may have shared this story before even on this podcast is i realized you know when the pandemic hit in march of 2020 it's like you know i don't really care if the store manager is a jerk <laughs> You know, if he's cheating on his wife and abuses employees, like as long as he's keeping the store uh, shelves filled so I can eat something, I'm really glad, right? <laughs> because if he didn't, like we would be toast. And like civilization runs because people do what is expected of them and don't worry about all the stuff that they could be worrying about too much, right? And, you know, they, we could only handle so much reality at once. And I often think about this phrase, uh, I think it's in the Old Testament, where it says, no man can see God and live. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, is that the, the naked experience of reality would literally fry your brain. Mm. It would be too much to comprehend. And so we have to wear, we have to have a veil. Uh, we have to pretend reality is simpler than it is. Otherwise, we couldn't cope. I mean, if you had to, like, see all the people whose lives have been destroyed to make our life possible, right, the Native Americans, the African Americans, the coal miners, uh, the settlers, you know, uh, the Hispanics, all these people, if you actually had to sit and hear their story, it would ruin you, Right. You would not be able to get in your car and drive and go to work, you know? You know, it would just be too much. We, like, civilization, humanity exists, you know, uh, due to our finitude. And, At the cost of others. Sorry? At the cost of others. And yes, and all existence, you know, from the first, uh, you know, uh, uh, bacteria that ate other bacteria. <laughs> You know, like we live, at, we, you know, and frankly, you know, the, 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 you know, our star is the relic of a burned out star, right? Is, you know, mm -hmm. is, you know, the, the earth is made from planets on some supernova. Like we don't know, you know, entire solar systems could have been decimated, which could have had God knows what sort of life and intelligence and civilization, you know, in order to create the materials that allowed us to, you know, have this world that we live in now. 
It's kind of mind-boggling. It is literally beyond our ability to conceive. And so, you know, at the one hand, it's like to be human is to be finite, is to be blind, is to be deaf, is to be dumb. But the amazing idea of the incarnation is God is, is not just that like God took pity on us, but the whole reason God created the universe is so we could experience what it's like to be apart from him so we could find him and be found by him and find ourselves in him. And that, you know, this veil that keeps us from seeing God, it's like a bridal veil. And, you know, the reason that sex is so powerful is not just that it's woven into our DNA since the first eukaryotic cells. It's because there's something primal about the universe that longs for reunion, that longs for love, that longs for significance. And our bodies and our souls twist themselves into all sorts of unnatural things to try to grasp pieces of that. But the, the, the promise of the gospel is that all these desires and hopes and dreams and illusions and, and brokenness and broken hearts that we chase, they're actually preparation for something real. They're not just childish illusions that we have to be mature and forget about. They are actually the reality for which we are created. And, you know, most of our pain is because we fight ourselves not to hide from the, the ugliness of the world, but from a beauty so vast it would destroy us. Hmm. And that's... Hmm. So what do you think happens after all this? After what? What do you think happens after all this? All what? This? This, this, this conversation, I will go back home and drink some water. No, the 3D world. It was a 4D. Which world? <laughs> I'm on at least Rev 40 by now, I think. Right? Is that this is the thing, David? Is that you've been living in a world which, frankly, you asked for? Right? You wanted a wife. You wanted a job. <laughs> I know. You know. And the things. Sorry. I'm stuck with the choices the twenty young guy in the past no longer exists made. Right, but here's the thing, David. You know, you fantasize about running away to a ghost town, right? Oh yeah. I'd love to own one. Here's the thing. I'll sit down. If you're willing to believe it, you already live in a ghost town. Everyone around you is essentially a ghost of their true selves and just a relic of what they used to be. No, Ernie, come on. You know what I mean. I'm not enough to flip no. this around. No, but here's the thing, David. You could choose today. You could. What? Right? So, so what? Up and sell everything? 
No, just to like live in the world you do today. Well, so first of all, you could, you could just, I mean, people, I mean, this is the, this is the 21st century. Men walk out on their wives and children all the time. Pastors do it. Right. Yeah. Right. You could, you could physically walk out and leave everything. But even if you don't do it physically, you could do it spiritually where you just decide I'm not playing this game. You know, I, Mm -hmm. you know, and you could even choose to see the world. I mean, I think it's easy. There's a cross or two or three even before you get there. But you could see this world completely different than the way everyone else does. And the, the, the issue isn't that you can't. The issue is you are, for very good reasons, afraid to. Um, because when you jump a chasm, if you make it halfway across, <laughs> it's bad. You don't get to do it in two jumps. That's the problem yeah. with the leap of faith. If you knew you were going to yeah. land somewhere, there's a lot you could do. But to give up everything you currently have, even if it kind of sucks, is kind of foolish if you don't know where it's going to take you. Hmm. Right. I mean, what else, what am what? I going to do? I can't just, you know, the price is too high. I'm not willing to pay it. Yes. And so that's the real question is what is it that's on the other side that is a, I think you want to, you want to tell me this. You have to have like the sense that a, there's a better world out there, B, that there's a path that will get you there, and C, that you personally can make it to the end. Right. And but the price of walking out on your kids and wife, that's, that's it's really expensive. Yeah, well, now if you have no, if you also, well, you're also giving up all your money, so, you know, there's that. Uh um, but here's the right, but you know, so you should mention that Jesus said something oddly similar, didn't he? Right? What? If you're not willing to, you know, if anyone wants to come after me, he must hate his mother and his father. Oh, right. You know, and so, so this is the you can't, you know, you can't leave your marriage and your kids, you know. Right. Well, people did, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but like you could, right? Um, and then the question is that well, but here's the thing, right? There's this, this is where it's hard. Is Ernie, the things you that are wrong. Do you want Sorry? me to be one of those people? You want I me almost to be was. One? You know, I nearly lost my family trying to follow what Jesus told me to do. Okay, so. You know, there's a here's the thing. Actually, it's not so much that I want you to physically or financially leave them. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the ugly truth is that in many ways, emotionally, you already do. Yeah. Yeah. And what I want, to, and the thing is, is that there's good reasons that you stay, 
and there are bad reasons you stay. Right? The good mm. reasons are like you do actually care about them. You do you know, want them to be happy. You don't want to break their hearts, et cetera. Those are all good reasons. But there's also right. all the bad reasons. It would be embarrassing. It would be awkward. It would be painful. It would be expensive. And no, like, my uh, handed to me. Sorry? I have my keister handed to these. Yes. Right. Is it, is it, it's really about fear. Right. And what I desperately want is for you to be free from that fear. Oh, so then I should try it. I mean, you should try something. <laughs> and whatever level of courage and risk you're willing to take, I would be willing to walk with you through that. Hmm. Um, okay. But there's, um, you know, the, um, you know, I'd like to think there are slightly less disastrous ways to pull this off. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I made it through by the, by the skin of my teeth you know, with, with my marriage and my family and my house, um, you know, through the, the, the dark night of the soul to my country Western period where I'd lost, you know, almost everything else. Uh, <laughs> so I'm grateful for that. Um, and I would like to find a way for people to escape the trap of this world with minimum collateral damage. Right. The goal is to try to do the surgical strike where we destroy the corrupt portions of your own soul, you know, without having to also destroy all of your relationships. Right. That would be the goal. And in particular, and this is the hard part, the goal would be only to kill the dead parts of the relationship, right? Like when you're cleaning out a tree, or like, you know, doing, uh, you know, surgery on a infected patient. Like, you don't want to have to amputate the whole limb. You want to just mm. cut out all the infected gangrenous parts. Which is a lot harder, right, to do a surgical removal. This is why people get divorced. It's easier for them to just try to get rid of everything and start over than to just get rid of the, the broken, corrupted parts. And I can right. understand that, but it's sad, and it's a little bit, I mean, I wouldn't say cowardly. It's like, this is the whole point, is if you don't know Jesus, if you don't see this other reality, then you're stuck making decisions based on this very narrow slice of reality that you're able to see. But this is, to go with the episode title, this is where Loki meets Jesus, is if you don't have anything else, then all you can do is burn the whole thing to the ground and start over again. You know, get the divorce, get the gender change, get the facelift, get the revolution, you know, and just start over again from scratch. But the promise of Jesus is that we can die and reborn and that he will give us back everything that we've lost and then some. Right? Is that we don't have to burn down reality. We don't have to run off to the desert. We don't have to abandon our wives and children. They may feel like it, you know, because you are breaking the corrupt bonds of reality that you have grown up with them for decades. But right. in the end, you will have them and they will have you far more truly and really than they ever did. Mm. And the price 
is just one small cross. One small cross, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe this is the place to end because this is this is literally where Loki, Loki meets Jesus. Maybe the next one will be Loki reborn. And this is this is the skill that I think I told you for years, like getting there. And I think we're getting closer. Is that that if we can figure out what is the cross that you have been avoiding that you need to trust Jesus enough to embrace, that would be day one. Stepping into a new life. Mm. And this has been coming up a lot with you and some of our other mutual friends. And it's like, okay, this feels like the thing that I need to learn how to do with you. And um, the thing that you need to break out of the doldrums. To find hmm. the one lie that is so precious to you that you can't let go of it. But once you let go of it, it will feel like you are flying. Okay. All right. God bless you, David. So we'll try to do this again tomorrow. Um. Maybe a break tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe a break, break tomorrow. Sure. Fun on Wednesday then. Yeah, we'll see how it how. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But I have to finish this before Friday because when when you head back home, I'll be heading off to Spain. So. Right. Right. Can get to a good get to a good uh, inflection point before then. All right. Okay. Love you, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye, bye, little man.